Well, hey folks, Jeff Salzman here and welcome to The Daily Evolver, where we take a look at politics and culture and spirituality, the whole ball of wax from an integral evolutionary viewpoint. And today I want to talk about what I consider to be a I think a really key integral insight and an and, and integral practice that is really helpful when we look at current events and, you know, things that cause us a lot of consternation, whether it's the upcoming election or the Kavanaugh drama or Me Too or Saudi Arabia, geez, Taylor Swift, <laughs> Kanye, I'm sorry, yay. Um, so anyway, so this is how this insight works. And it's a developmental move into integral that I've been sort of uh, uh, tracing out in these last couple podcasts where I looked at cultural evolution and particularly consciousness raising that has happened around gender relations and Me Too, really starting in the 60s. But even in the last year, if you think that uh, Harvey Weinstein, the, the article that came out in the New Yorker that started this whole Me Too movement was one year ago. So it's astonishing evolution. But this evolution that is, is a general thing, it's, it's not just limited to trauma or politics or sexual politics. It's basically a emergence into awareness of our interior lives, our interior world, in a way that we hadn't been able to see it before. And we suddenly or gradually become aware of ways of thinking and behaving that are causing suffering to ourselves and other people. And you can look at you know, what's even happened in the last year and see that that's what's happening. We're becoming aware of ways of thinking and behaving that cause suffering. And it's not like they were, um, you know, it's not like they weren't there before these, uh, these traumas and, and you know, the, the, the conflict and consternation that's been laying around, but there's an awareness of it. It's like the Google map where we, you know, we thought it was blank and we, increase the resolution and we see, oh, okay, there's mountains and rivers and streets and trees. And we do this in the interiors and we start to see these long cascades of cause and effect, karma. And we listen to our self-talk and we realize with horror how we're sabotaging ourselves and making ourselves miserable. And if somebody else were to talk to us in the way that we talk to ourselves, we would get a restraining order. And, <laughs> you know, it can actually be kind of funny once you get some witnessing perspective. And it, and it helps to see it as best we can with some humor and space and, you know, oxygen and liberation. And uh, I think one of the ways we can do that is through art. And I actually want to uh, play a, an excerpt from what I think is a beautiful transmission of this realization. And this is from the movie, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And this is Jim Carrey as the Grinch. And I'm going to play, I don't know, it's maybe a minute of it. 
where it's his reaction when he gets an invitation from the sweet little people, the little the Who's down in Whoville to join him to join them for Christmas. And he's like, I such short notice, the nerve of these Who's. And so this is it. And uh, let's see, I do that. Now about those Who's inviting me down now on such short notice. Even if I wanted to go, my schedule wouldn't allow it. Four o'clock, wallow in self-pity. Four thirty, stare into the abyss. Five o'clock, solve world hunger. Tell no one. Five thirty, jazzercise. Six thirty, dinner with me. I can't cancel that again. Seven o'clock, wrestle with myself. Loathing. I'm booked. Of course, if I bump the loathing to nine, I could still be done in time to lay in bed, stare at the ceiling, and slip slowly into madness. But what would I wear? I'm not sure how well that audio came through, so I'll read it again. It's, it's worth it anyway. He looks at this invitation, he's, and he says, The nerve of those who's inviting me down there on such short notice. Even if I wanted to go, my schedule wouldn't allow it. Four o'clock, wallow in self-pity. 4.30, stare into the abyss. Five o'clock, solve world hunger, tell no one. 5.30, jazzercise. 6.30, dinner with me. I can't cancel that again. 7 o'clock, wrestle with my self-loathing. I'm booked. Of course, if I bump the loathing to nine, I could still be done in time to lay in bed, stare at the ceiling, and slip slowly into madness. But what would I wear? <laughs> so, very funny, right? And that's it. You know, at the green altitude, we enter this great therapeutic project of seeing our own craziness. And while we could still act it out, we are able to see it instead of be it. And that's a big, big difference. We develop a witness consciousness. It moves from being us to being something that a bigger us can see. And when we can see it, we can have a laugh about it. And that is the engine of evolution in human consciousness. The subject becomes object of a bigger subject. And Jim Carrey transmits that artistically, beautifully. Uh, and, and, and the movie proceeds to then transmit the natural consequence of that. And that is that Spoiler alert, we're all forgiven and redeemed. So, you know, that is the therapeutic project of green postmodernism in terms of the therapeutic pro pro the interior process. And it's this self-forgiveness. And so then at Integral, we continue the project and we begin to do the same kind of self-forgiveness that we did for ourselves, but this time for the collective. And we need to do that because even those of us who have had our years of therapy and we've learned to love ourselves and maybe even taking a stab at forgiving our enemies, we still have no problem condemning humanity. I mean, how could we not? 
look at our history. There's something deeply wrong here. There's a cancer at the core. There's a darkness at the core of humanity. And, you know, that's just obvious at Green. But at Integral, we turn towards that and start working with that. And, um, you know, there's a forgiveness that comes online. I'll talk about it a little bit in a minute, in a minute, but it's funny when I was noodling this, I was going to say that green is the most condemning of the first tier memes, but <laughs> cause it's plenty condemning. It's monoperspectival. If you don't agree with them, you're wrong. Uh, but I, I have to say that I thought twice about that when I considered the worldview of a fundamentalist sect who feels that everybody who doesn't do it their way is going to be, you know, sent to hell and is an infidel and God is going to rid the earth of them. But still, I have to say that the despair and depression that I see in the progressive world is. You know, it bumps right up against nihilism, I got to say, in, in, in a lot of cases. And, um, you know, and I, I think the sort of epitome of this, or the nadir, if you will, is I was reading in a, in a New, York art, New Yorker article, an article called The Case for Not Being Born. And this is about the neo, neo or I'm sorry, the non-natalist school of philosophy that is headed by David Benatar. And he wrote a book called Better Never to Have Been, The Harm of Coming into Existence. And here's, I think the first paragraph, but it's one of the opening paragraphs. It says, David Benatar may be the world's most pessimistic philosopher, an anti-natalist. He believes that life is so bad, so painful, that human beings should stop having children for reasons of compassion. And they mentioned his book, again, Better Never to Have Been is the name of it. And they say, in Benatar's view, reproducing is intrinsically cruel and irresponsible, not just because a horrible fate can befall anyone, but because life itself is, quote, permeated by badness, unquote. In part for this reason, he thinks that the world would be a better place if sentient life disappeared altogether. And you hear that. I have friends who, you know, a friend of mine said that human beings are a cancer on the planet. It's not hard to see that in a certain way that, you know, that green sees the rapacious consumerism of modernity. I mean, it has a world-centric view. It's not just cleaning up our backyard. It's cleaning up the planet. They have a, you know global view. And it's, you know, it's, it's sort of natural. And I think that it's actually evolutionarily a stage in the path. Because at some point, you realize that we're actually not going to get this thing right. And I'm not just talking the whole project of humanity, I think we actually will at some point get it right if we, you know, live through the mistakes yet to be made. But even in our own lives, that we're never gonna get this thing straightened out. And that, that, that despair of that is actually a stage in a path that's often referred to as the desert, you know, in the hero's journey. It's where just nothing worked. You know, I just give, I give up, you know. And 
what's positive about that, if you'll pardon the expression, is that what we're doing there actually is dropping the habitual, conditioned, egoic reasons that we had for being where we're just trying to hold on to our lives, our youth, our spouse, or whatever it is we want to hold on to. And we're gripped around our own survival, our own well-being, and the other people who see the world the way I do because we're the ones who see it right and can we still set it right? And that does have to be abandoned. It really does. Because it's only then that we get to realize that we're not living life, but life is living us. Or at least there's some combination of the two. And we're not as responsible as we thought. And that we don't have to get it right in the way that we thought. And that everybody doesn't have to see it the way we do. And that they're actually not supposed to. And this is the way it's supposed to be. And when that happens then you are able to, as Walt Whitman said, inhale great drafts of space. And the realization is that I am larger, better than I thought. I did not know I held so much goodness. All seems beautiful to me. And that when we talk about all, it's just this identity with the whole. It's like the I that he's talking about is not Walt Whitman. It's this bigger I, the transpersonal, beyond personal. And when we see that, we see that the whole thing's a miracle. And actually, it's a good thing we were born, because if we hadn't been, we wouldn't be able to appreciate it and participate in it. And we wouldn't get to grow up and be helpful. And that is really the new story for humanity with this more integral view where we become forgiving, not just of ourselves, which is what we do when we go to therapy, we learn to love ourselves, but we forgive the whole thing. We forgive humanity for all of the things that are, you know, we're guilty of. And we realize that we're growing up. And that is the new story. And I always love the quote, I should have looked it up, I didn't, uh, by E.O. Wilson, where he talks about, he's an evolutionary biologist, uh, eminent, uh, preeminent Harvard uh, evolutionary biologist. And he talked about evolution is the greatest myth. And it's actually delivered to us by science. It's not anti-scientific. It's delivered to us by science when you realize that 13.8 billion years ago, something blew out of nothing and it has complexified to into this moment and us. And that there is, uh, you know, a, a telos, a, a movement, a, an attractor that is pulling people into greater complexity and greater circles of compassion where we are able to include more in the circle of what we notice and care about. And, um, and that is a beautiful thing that comes <laughs> with a little bit of a scandal. And that is that we see 
from this new vantage point in 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 history and and really for the last 50 70 years it's it's new in all of the history of humanity that we are able to see all of every school of human wisdom all of history in all parts of the world and art and the unfoldings we it's just it's it's clear to us because it's all on the table now and it's clear that hu- humanity has unfolded in stages and that is a growing up and just as a child grows up from a infant to a two-year-old to a four-year-old to an eight-year-old to a 12-year-old and onward that all of those stages are beautiful and we lose and we gain as we grow until hopefully we get wise that we start to be magical like a child again we bring it bring it all in but that is um the hard sell of that and the scandal of that if you will is that there are people who are more grown up than others and that's really a tough sell particularly to green who has such an allergy to hierarchy and because, for good reason because it saw that the you know great triumphal triumphalist narratives of history got us to you know tragedy in the 20th century and so all of that has to be cleared away but what we maintain is natural hierarchy and natural hierarchy is what I just described. It's how acorns grow into saplings and seedlings and, and oaks. Our children grow into adults. That's that humanity grows up and that people are, have different centers of gravity and that they are sequential. And you could call it higher or deeper or later or bigger, uh, but there is a hierarchy to it, uh, a holarchy, as Ken Wilber would say. Uh, where it is an ever greater embrace. Uh, so it's not, it's not about domination. And that's, it's a, it, like I said, it's tough to get to that, for that message to you know, be heard by progressives, by, by Green. And, and there are other ways to do it. I was just talking to uh, Jeremy Johnson. In fact, I'm publishing an, a talk with him called uh, The Presence of the Future. And he was here. Uh, in Boulder at a conference on Gene Gebser, who's one of the great uh, develop, well, I don't know if he would call himself a developmentalist, but Gebser has, uh, is responsible for laying out this, the, uh, the sequence of uh, humanity moving from archaic to magic to mythic to uh, rational and so forth. And, um, and he talked about that at the conference, they used what we would call the stages as a mandala. So a mandala is just everything's right there in a circle. Nothing ranks higher than the other. And they're all, so we have a, a you know, the traditionalists, we have the modernists, we have the postmodernists. And these are just three co-arising worldviews. And they are. So that's an absolutely great way to do it. And it's a way that a lot of people who are teaching developmental theory, if you will, in uh, organizations and so forth. It's a, you know, it's hard to tell people that, you know, there's a stage or two 
beyond where you are. So you don't want to do that. But the reality is that we can see, and this is the part that's sort of, you know, the new story, the new beautiful story of arising is that we haven't fallen from paradise because every first tier structure thinks that, you know, humanity screwed it up and we disobeyed God or we disobeyed nature and we're ahead for, for apocalypse. And, um, and that's deep. But as we move into integral, we, with this evolutionary view, we realize that, wait a second, we haven't fallen from paradise. We're rising from Eden, if you will. We're rising from that, you know, oceanic merged unified state, which is certainly delicious, but only when it's conscious, which is what happens as you uh, bring it back online. But at any way, at first tier, we don't see it that way. And that's a lot of people don't see it that way. And, and a lot of times I don't see it that way. And it's like, uh, okay, I, I, maybe I'm somebody who's grown to 18 or 20 or 24. You know, I, I got a good modern download. I'm getting the postmodern download. I got the inter, little bit of integral here and there. But I look back at the other people who are still eight and 12 and three. And I think, God, you know, look at them running around in circles or punching each other. They're, you know, how gullible, how naive, how silly, how the mess they're making, all of that stuff. And we see that in the collective. We see currently whole countries who have a center of gravity that are pre-modern. And they are still working from the memo about the triumphalism of their sect or their tribe or their race. And they're not just punching and kicking and wrestling for fun. They're fighting for real with bombs and chemicals and guns. And it's horrible to watch, which we do in real time living color. And we think, you know, what's wrong with these people? You know, what's, why did, how did we fall from paradise? And, and that's also true within countries with various subcultures. And this is, of course, the key to the culture wars is that tradition, particularly traditionalists and postmodernists just really don't get each other and basically, you know, hate each other. And it's true actually within us too. It's, I, I, I often say that one of the, uh, markers of integral consciousness and, and really are just our day and age is that there are several stages of development online within us. So I have traditional Jeff fighting against postmodern Jeff and modern Jeff and spirit and religion and science and Republicans and, you know, the whole thing. And um, yeah, it's, it's as we expand and see it instead of be it, we could say, oh, you know, and, and, and that's really the, the practice is to have the realization that this should be happening or at least something like that. And, and here's the an actual integral practice that I'll, I'll close with. Um, it's, the noticing that how often we 
go around with some version of this shouldn't be happening, whether it's political or the culture or what's on television or the temperature or whatever it might be. This shouldn't be happening. It's awful that it is. I can't stand it. And somebody needs to be condemned. And there we are. That's it. And so the question then is, is who is it that needs to be condemned? Is it Trump? Is it that odious Marsha Blackburn in Tennessee? I mean, she's getting my goat these days. I don't know about you. And of course, Ted Cruz. Although I, he's kind of become sort of a character to me. And, and I have a certain sympathy for his humiliation at the hands of the Trump. But at any rate, um, we could also have that feeling about groups of people. And I actually wanted to share the one that is getting my goat these days. It's the, the group of young people who aren't voting. And here's a piece from MSNBC, I think it was on Trader, uh, Trader Joe's, <laughs> Morning Joe. Uh, and it is, I forget his name. He's a correspondent. You can see him here if you're seeing the video, but it's easy to, enough to, to hear too. And he is in Irvine, California, and he's gone to the University of California there. And he is interviewing students on the street about whether or not they're going to vote. And here he is coming up to a bus stop. So... Here we go. We're with NBC News, and I'm just trying to figure out, is anybody here going to vote in the election on November 6th? Anybody? Anybody? Nobody's going to vote? Is anybody going to vote in the congressional election in November? You are. Thank you, sir. Yeah. What do you care about? <laughs> what do I care about? Yeah. Um, school. School. Cool. What about you? I'll walk with you to the bus stop. You guys get on this bus? Yeah. So if you were going to vote, what, what is the thing that's going to get your vote? Probably school. It's expensive. I was going to say, you're not talking about the issues that people talk about on the news all the time. The Russia investigation, Supreme Court. You don't watch that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't watch that stuff. You should watch that stuff. So, uh, but you know what? It actually reminds me of when I was in college, which was during Watergate. And the whole system was melting down. This was in 72 to 76. And um, I was a political science and journalism major. And I don't think I voted the whole time. I just, I've studied it. Uh, I sort of cared. I, I, I got kind of inspired when all the president's men came out with Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman. But I was in a different world. I was in a different place. It's a smaller world as I recall. And that is just the, I, the, the, the nature of things. I, was, I saw a special uh, on voting and it's, you just can't get young people to vote. And when I was in college, the, the, I remember the, the, the professors particularly, and some of the maybe more political students would always talk about apathy. The, the big problem was apathy. And uh, we'd have to write essays on student apathy. And I was on the student newspaper and I wrote articles about apathy, but I was still, they didn't, still didn't vote. And it's, it's like that part of the brain that needs to grow. And we, we all know that 
consciousness and even brain structures in the upper right continue to grow into our 20s. And it hasn't come online yet. For some, it has. But for others, it hasn't. And, um, and for young people, getting out to vote just is sort of an outside of their reality <laughs> in a way that drives us baby boomers crazy because it's so in our reality. And actually, if you want to know the truth, God bless you. Uh, you know, live your life, enjoy yourself. Uh, but anyway, um, and I, I think that just sort of points out just one final thing, and that is that the higher you are or the bigger you are, the, the, the more grown up you are, and this is true of a family too, the more responsible you are for the well-being of the family. You're, you're not, the, the eight-year-old is not as responsible as the 12-year-old and so forth. And the eight-year-old is not a defective 12-year-old. Everybody gets to be who they are and they gets to be loved for who they are. Yeah. And, you know. So anyway, you f end up flipping the script. You, you go from this shouldn't be happening. It's awful that it is. I can't stand it. To something more like, I don't want to say it should be happening. But it's just, it is happening. You know, life is what it is. And I always loved Trumpa's teachings on this, Chogum Trumpa's teachings, who founded Naropa. He would just talk about being friendly to reality and not aggressing on other people with your worldview and with your attainment. And when you try to lay it on other people, it's an aggression. And that always, I remember when I first started going to Naropa, I think, what's he talking about? But I understand it now. And so... I don't know, should be happening, but I'm friendly to reality. This is where we are. And we're growing up. And the human family is growing. And it's a mess, just as it is with three-year-olds and 12-year-olds and whatever. But not only can I live with it, I want to flip that I can't stand it to I can stand it. I not only can stand it, I love it. And I'm happy to be part of it. I'm glad I was born. And that somebody needs to be condemned is flipped to somebody needs to be loved or helped or, you know, maybe even taken out of the game in some of the, the humane way. Uh, you know, I mean, we, we want to make the family as safe as possible. So misbehavior has to be contained. But we don't do that out of uh, condemnation or punishment. We do it out of the sense of being a parent or a grandparent and a sense of love. So, you know, that's the sort of move as I see it. I'm working on it myself. Uh, I offer it uh, as a uh, something that you can ponder and check out and let me know what you think. Again, you can reach me at jeff at dailyevolver.com. You can send me an email. You can send me a little voice memo if you want. Or you can go to my site, dailyevolver.com, and go to the, I think it's, yeah, the Connect tab. And there's ways to get in touch with me there. Because I really do love hearing from you. And uh, I would also say that I want to thank Integral Life for hosting this live and I really encourage you to become a member of Integral Life. It is, a, 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 I think it's $100 a year. And it, you're, you, you are supporting and, and being part of the 
really key integral portal uh, in the virtual world. So thank you for listening and we will see you next time on the Daily Evolver. Thanks folks, bye.